Hi, I'm Doug. And I'm David. And we are Beyond Hungry. David, what are we going to talk about today? Well, Doug, we had the opportunity to sit down with Sita Mangra Stubbs of Whole Damn Woman. And for our listeners, this interview actually took place last fall. And, you know, we we're really ambitious with getting, you know, our interview schedule. And, you know, we, we hit a busy season in our lives. <laughs> so now we're trying to get back together and, you know, start mm-hmm. getting things out in a more put together, sustainable schedule, you know, to keep you guys updated with everything that's going on. So there's going to be an influx of episodes coming your way. But this is a great opportunity and we had a great conversation. Yeah, let's get to it. Let me just say, I'm. We are both super, super, super excited to have you on here. I, I know that when David and I first really started getting working on Beyond Hungry as a project, your account kind of came up a, a lot. And with everything going on, we're like, we need to get whole damn woman on. But first, I guess, can you can you introduce yourselves? Can you tell us who is who is the person behind Whole Damn Woman? First of all, thank you. My name is Sita Mangra Stubbs, and I am a Des Moines native. I've only lived one other place and that was for grad school. I've, I taught college English for, and sociology and student development for about 20 years. And then and I've done food reviews in various social media capacities or blogs for a long time. And when I started DSM Food Lover, that actually kind of gained a little bit of traction. And I started that on Instagram about two, it's been two years, two years ago. And But I, I, I ran into the block of people wanted me to stick to food, and I have a hard time doing that. So that's, that's how Whole Damn Woman came about. Nice. It gave me an opportunity to talk about a little bit of everything. How was that, like that, that back... When, then, so that people like re- literally reached out and said that they wanted you to talk more about food. Yeah, I, gosh, I don't remember how long I lasted before I started talking about politics, but um, <laughs> I think I went in a few months and then I, I just flat out was like, you know, if, if you support Trump, we can't be friends. And, and I got a little pushback then, but then I started expanding into other topics and yeah, I had a, a about a handful of people who messaged me or made comments about, you know, I don't follow you for this. I follow you for food. And that's like, I think the quickest way to get me to do the exact opposite of what you want. I'm very, you know, contrarian that way. So I was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. Yeah. I, I think I remember your original account. Cause I remember I, I, I followed you there cause you were doing food reviews around here and I was interested in that. And then I remember it took me a while to make the connection that I was like, Oh, who's, who's whole damn moment. And where's this stuff popping up? And this is really, really great, but I don't remember following this person, but like, this is amazing. <laughs> C- can you tell us about the name? Where, where did that name come from? Um, I- <laughs> It, it was a kind of a reaction to that, 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 you know, just stick to food. And, and I've always been, you know, when I teach English and sociology, it's hard to just stick to one thing because, you know, you have students who are writing about everything under the sun and then sociology overlaps with pretty much every field <laughs> you can imagine. So I, I have a little bit of interest in everything. And so when people were telling me, you know, just stick to food. I'm like, no, I, you know, I want to talk about all this stuff. I have a lot of experiences. I have a lot of opinions. I have things to say. And I, and I, so the whole idea of the idea of being whole, I don't know where that came from. It's just kind of, you know, I want to be whole. I want to be myself. I want to not have 16 social media accounts to talk and, and to segment, segment all of them into those specific things where, oh, I have a politics account. I have a food account. I, I wanted to be able to have it all in one spot. And so, and I, and that was, that kind of evolved into a, I want to feel whole. I want to feel like I don't have to section myself off because I've done a lot of that in my life to section things off to make people happy. And I just wanted to be able to be my whole damn self. And so the wholeness, that's where that came from. And because I like to swear, I, you know, <laughs> you know I, I've heard all these people say, you know, I'm the whole damn meal and the whole, you know, I'm like, I'm going to throw that in there. So. <laughs> I love it. Which is so like opposite of what social media has become, right? Like social media has become an outlet for people, but in the same sense, they kind of like want to project this perfect image of themselves versus you. You kind of like show the the darkness or the sadness, you know, the the whole aspect of what makes us human, which is like completely 
even beyond just a picture of food, right? Like even just normal social media where people would just like post all the fun things, all the vacations, all the, the glamorous aspects of life. And you covered like kind of like pretty much everything. Yeah. I, I just, I don't have time for fakeness, honestly. I, my, my graduates, my first round of graduate school, my English degree, I studied creative nonfiction, which I don't know if you're familiar with it at all, but basically just telling true stories using some of the conventions of fiction. And in that, I found a lot of power in, in telling our stories and, and being honest about who we are. And I wanted to study a little bit of like, you know, the confessionalist poets, like, you know, Sylvia Plath. And I was and still am a huge fan of Alanis Morissette, who <laughs> uses very, very much of her own experiences. And, and I just think there's a lot of power in that. So I I don't, I just don't see the point in only showing the good because I don't think that that helps anybody, honestly. Right. I think that was the same thing with people with like, even in the food aspect, like if you think back like in a few years when even like Anthony Bourdain, he had that backlash that people was like, I don't want, you know, my travel and my, my, my food to be involved with politics and people like to create that separation. But like, most food is political, right? Like most, most everything is political. If you go to your mm -hmm. favorite restaurant, like there is politics involved. It's just behind the scenes that you don't see it. And people like to keep things that way. Yeah. I, and I think they get boring, honestly, I, it, to only talk about food for so long or only talk about one thing for so long. I think it ignores, I think it ignores cultural influences. I think it ignores who's behind the creations of all these things, which I think is just so important is who is behind it. Yeah, I, I and mean, obviously a uh, huge fan of Bourdain. And in fact, we just finished watching a cook's, a cook's tour on the first one. Yeah, the very first one on the, yeah. was yeah, that Food Network before he moved to the travel channel? I think it was. Well, I think it was. Yeah, because then after that, he was like, fuck Food Network. I'm never, <laughs> <laughs> like, he was very anti Food Network and also very contrarian, but for some very good reasons. <laughs> yes. <obviously>. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we just finished watching. We kind of went backwards. We did Parts Unknown. But I mean, I'd watched No Reservations before, but then I kind of, you know, got off of it. And then as we all do, after he passed, we were like, okay, we should probably, you know, make sure we appreciate what he created. So we went backwards. We did Parts Unknown and then No Reservations and then just finished a cook's tour. And I don't know. You could just see how bored he was. I mean, you really could. Mm -hmm. You could see he's like, I want to do more. So I respect that a lot. I'm sort of curious as as someone who's kind of gone backwards through that. Did you sort of see him regress in a sense? Oh yeah, I. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean he. I don't think that Bourdain could hide who he was, but you could definitely see more of who he was as the episodes went along. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just he just he just really became more and more comfortable, or it seemed he became more and more comfortable just being honest about who he was. Obviously, I don't think that that was entirely the case because, you know, of his own personal struggles, but it was nice to to see him get more and more honest and more mm -hmm. and more himself. Do you Which, think he matured as well? <laughs> as much as Mordain can? I don't know. When I read Kitchen Confidential, I, I was kind of, I, I, was, I was like, I don't know why I'm surprised at the immaturity of <laughs> frankly of men in kitchens but that was a lot of what it was but I, I do think he matured in the sense of he really seemed to have gained a greater appreciation for humanity and for the things that a real hatred for gentrification that I it's just really impacted how I see international travel is it something that I'm probably going to start doing politics depending oh, hopefully gonna be doing that somewhat soon but yeah i do think he did in a sense of appreciation for what was around him i want to uh kind of bring things back in time a little bit and kind of talk about the the origins of your interest in food and kind of where that comes from you know that's definitely like where your instagram your original instagram account and handle kind of started but like that had to come from somewhere so like can you tell us what it was like growing up in in des moines and, and then like how that your relationship with the food kind of developed? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fine. No, uh, no I, it's I, it's funny that you ask that because I'm in the process of learning about and, and practicing and studying intuitive eating. 
And some of this is rooted in where my interest in food came from. And I haven't quite identified it yet. So actually, this is a really good question. I mean, my, my, my parents cooked at home almost all the time. I'm going out was definitely a treat. And my dad is Guyanese, but, you know, our family is Indian. So, you know, I grew up with Indian food. My mom is black. So, you know, grew up with American food, you know, just kind of a combination of the two. But my parents just didn't necessarily like to go out a lot. My dad looked down on fast food. If they were going to go out, my dad probably wanted a margarita. So that, you know, that was <laughs> that was probably where we, why we went out. We went out to Chi Chi's. Like anytime we went out, we went out to Chi Chi's. That's just what we Wow. Did. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I mean, they still have those around, don't they? I mean, I don't know. I've never seen not one. In, uh, not in Iowa. I don't know. The last I time remember I the commercials. I think that's what I remember is I just remember the Chi Chi's commercials and I don't <laughs> remember anything about them other than the name. And just, that was that was about it. So Chi Chi's is, is where is what like the special occasion. Like we're going out. We're celebrating. You know, you got an A in in English, <laughs> so we're 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 going out and celebrating. That was that that was the restaurant. David, what about for you? What what was the what was the we're celebrating? Let's go out restaurant. Um, hmm. I feel it was more like Texas Roadhouse. Oh, okay. So like, it's an affordable steakhouse. It's yeah, you know, just just across the Wisconsin border. But other than that, I mean. Celebratory like buffets because it was my family gets mm. really picky like especially like with a big family when you try to debate like who who wants to go like who wants to eat what so it's like if you just choose a buffet it's the easiest thing to please as many different taste buds as possible. Nice. Yeah. But yeah, I think yeah, I think it was Chi Chi's and you mentioned steaks. My dad, you know, we're all steak people, so but my my parents are very little focused on chains. So Outback was our other one. Oh, yeah. And that was the like blooming super, onion. Yeah, this is like super <laughs> special occasions. Yeah. <laughs> I think growing up for me, it was definitely buffets was a big one. There's nothing my parents love more than going to a buffet and 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 getting everything they want and complaining about every single thing there. They that like spec that, that's their sport. <laughs> just love going to restaurants and complaining about the food. <laughs> the- and how expensive it is and how they could easily make it better at home. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's their favorite thing to do. That that and and I, I firmly believe they would love going to the Olive Garden if there was one in Ames. But because there's not, they go to the parent company's other restaurant, Red Lobster. Oh yeah. Yeah. They love themselves some red lobster and complaining about how unhealthy it is. So I don't actually. I yeah. do not mind Olive Garden. I know a lot of people have hate for it, but I'm like, it is what it is, and the breadsticks and salad is good, and the soups are good. So it's like, <laughs> we would we would whole, go to Olive Garden. Yeah, I have a whole like I had that hatred of Olive Garden for a while, and then my best friend absolutely loves it. So I I you know was like, okay, once a year we can go to Olive Garden, and <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I actually really like the Zupa Toscana. I really do. And so if it's like a whole, I have a whole Olive Garden strategy, which you basically just get the soup salad and breadsticks, and then you get, you know, a dessert. And if you drink, you know, a really sugary drink, and that's all you really ever need to get from there. Mm -hmm. There you go. Yeah, I I did. I remember I had a a strong, like, you know, we grew up going to Olive Garden and then went to school. And then I was like, you know, my, my school was looking in Little Italy in Chicago, so it's like, oh, Olive Garden, I can't believe I ate there. And, you know, you, then you grow this <laughs> hatred, and you like, become like this, you know, the foodie phase, right? Right. And then you, like, come to think about it, I was like, actually, like, Olive Garden, it's like, it's not that bad. It's like, you know, it's the same thing as, like, if you're going to complain about Olive Garden, then you shouldn't be the person going to McDonald's, Burger King, or any fast food restaurant then, because if yeah. you're going to say you want a real burger, then go get a real burger, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do we do we all go through this phase now? I'm, I'm curious about this. Like, I feel like everyone goes through the phase. It's like there's a transition. You know, you go to college, you eat like mm-hmm. the the cheapest food that you could get. You know, you don't really care about flavors. You just say like, okay, what can cure my headache from last night? And <laughs> then you're like, you know, get a job. You can afford a little bit. You look splurge, and you're like, oh my god, this is amazing. And you're like, I'm only gonna drink craft beer. I'm done with that watered down <laughs> stuff. And then you get like, you know, you, you upgrade yourself from boxed wine, and then you go to this phase of like, this is the best food, you know, organic. Educate yourself on it, and then you're like, McDonald's is garbage. And then eventually you'll crave it again. 
And then you start breaking down and you're like, okay, I'm busy. I don't have time to make these gourmet meals. I'm just going to. But I feel I like everyone goes through it. I, I, I know I went through it. I went through the whole like craft beer, like I don't drink water type deal, you know. And then next thing you know, I'm like craving Coronas. And I'm like. Ah. I think you're totally right. I'm, I'm like yeah. thinking about this. Like that is exactly the path I went through. Like we were just talking, my husband and I, we do date nights every, every week. And a few years ago I did, when I had the blog, I had something called the week of awful. And I just ate at like the shittiest places possible for a week. I like, like long John's Olive Garden, you know, I like, I just all, and, which by the way, I do not recommend because I felt terrible after day three, but it, there's a little bit lingered from that. And so I have my, my sister who is also, who picked up the love for chains, but me for my birthday a gift card to God, where's it to like all of those red lobster although Olive Garden's not on there so I don't understand that but it's red lobster cheesecake factory and four places we don't even have in Iowa <laughs> or so three like, of them well, Italian yeah <laughs> Maggiano's yeah <laughs> Romano's macaroni grill. They're like all the same restaurant. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, well, I hate Red Lobster. I really genuinely don't care for Red Lobster because I don't care for seafood, frankly, which is another story. But like, well, I guess I'm going to Cheesecake Factory. I love Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> I don't love their food, but I'm like, you know, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get some cheesecake. So our plan soon in a cup upcoming date night is to do a date night of awful. We're gonna get Olive Garden and Cheesecake Factory. There we go. And it'll probably be delicious. And I'll be like, I really should stop judging these. <laughs> yeah. Like my, my whole thing is like, as long as you don't eat it every day, you know, like it's, it's, it's okay. Like I think the the bad part, the health part comes with like just the affordability and the communities. Like they can only afford this or they eat this and it just becomes a more convenient thing. But I also understand that like, there's nothing like if you get a cheeseburger like once a week or once every other week and there's, it's the same thing as like having a craft beer or a cocktail, right? Like if you're going to be the, the healthiest person, then you should look at the entire thing. But yeah. So I was like, you know what? I need to stop hating. I need to be more positive because <laughs> they're not going to go away. You're not going to change people. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, when you're really hungry, that, that dollar cheeseburger hits different. It really does. <laughs> it truly, truly does. I, one of my favorite things when I was, teaching at Grandview was bacon and potato breakfast burritos at Taco John's. Those were satisfying. I don't know what it is. Those things are so good. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to enjoy it. But I want to go back to, to the, so this whole transition and they're like, it was called like the awful week. Like how does, how do you like plan for that? Like, do you're like, I'm just going to crave these foods. <laughs> What were the restaurants on the, on the on the awful week list? Oh God, I can't remember. Long John Silver's and Olive Garden. What Long else? Long John Silver's, Olive Garden. Oh my goodness, why can't I remember? This has been so long ago that I can't remember any of it. Cheesecake Factory. I can only remember those three. I don't know why. So what would you get at Long John Silver's? Because you you mentioned earlier that you don't like seafood. Weirdly, I like their chicken. I don't know why. It's, <laughs> yeah, it was like the chicken and hush puppies and and well, I don't know what you guys call them. We call them crumbs, but um, oh yeah, you know. That, that's all I ever really needed. And they were always like, oh, you get a side. And I'm like, screw your sides. I don't care. <laughs> the fries are terrible. I don't want any of that. Just give me more or something else. <laughs> so yeah, I was always chicken. And, and with that, my mom absolutely loves Long John's for some ungodly reason. And she, so we kind of grew up with it. Like that was like one of her favorite things. And so, you know, she went and got some crumbs. We always get crumbs, you know. We have to beg, but we'd get crumbs. That's For anyone who's not familiar with crumbs, can you tell <laughs> us what crumbs are? Crumbs are leftover batter, basically. Just bits of batter, and they, they're crunchy and greasy, and they throw them in a separate box, and you get them for Well, they just, I don't know if they still do it for free, but you just get them for free. They, they, I remember that. They used to do them for free, but I think in, in my community, they started charging 25, 25 cents. Yeah. 
which I don't know why you wouldn't, frankly. But so, yeah, so I, before I made an effort to stop eating fast food quite as much, used to get it all the time and then was like, okay, I can't keep doing this. So as my husband jokes, you know, everybody needs an oil change every now and then. So you'd go to, to Long John's when you craved it. And so I would crave it probably once every three or four months. And that's kind of where I think the week of awful came from was the idea of, all right, I'm going to allow myself this, this horrible shit that it's going to make me feel terrible, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. And that's, you know, that's, that's kind of where it all started was the things that we crave that might be terrible for us, or maybe you're, you know, the, that foodie stage where you're embarrassed to be seen there, <laughs> whatever it was, you know, I, I, I genuinely do not like Cheesecake Factory. I, I just never really have. And I decided I'd give the cheesecake another try. So that was for me, that's what the week of awful was for Cheesecake Factory was. I'm like, all right, you know, cheesecake, it's, that's what they're known for. I'm going to give it another try. And I got a slice of key lime cheesecake and it both smell, it smells, looked and tasted like plastic. It was awful. And so I don't know why I've decided I want to, you know, this gift card is the only reason I, I'm going back. But they have a Cinnabon cheesecake. So I'm going to give that a try. We'll see. <laughs> But yeah, that's, I don't remember, I honestly cannot remember what else was on there, but probably, probably Taco John's or something, but it, it usually either had to do with being embarrassed about being seen there or fear of artery clogging, something along those lines. Yeah, because the, the one thing I really like, appreciate also about your Instagram is that you cover everywhere you eat, you know, like if you go to get like tater tots somewhere, you post it and it's like, it's kind of like going back to the 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 image that you want to show on Instagram, right? Like the people's like, oh, I'm already gonna post the, the fancy food, the the nice, like elegant stuff that I eat. Like I'm not gonna post the burger from Culver's because I don't want people to know that a I eat there or it's not as attractive to to see, right? And I think I really appreciate because like, people forget, like, hey, like there is these flavors that do remind us of childhood and and you know like sometimes when when you are in the right headspace sometimes it's okay to to transition in order to have that like little enjoyment and i really like when i go through your instagram i was like oh i forget like yeah like it's okay to to enjoy this every once in a while like it's it's okay it's not like i shouldn't be ashamed of i had a a weakness in my judgment so I should feel guilt as well as the arteries clogging my system it's i'm actually in the process of, of this intuitive eating that I'm doing, it's actually, I read a book called the, the fuck it diet by Caroline. Dinner, <laughs> and it opened my eyes to diet culture and how much restriction and guilt and shame we have associated with what we eat, which has dominated my life. And I am what the medical industry would consider morbidly obese, problematic BMI bullshit aside, really opened my eyes to the idea that we, that, you know, I had, you know, binge eating issues and it was because I was restricting where I'd restrict and try and eat good for X number of days or weeks. And then because I wasn't allowing myself certain stuff, I would crave it and then I would binge on it. And then the cycle just repeats itself. And that's exactly what diet culture does to you. And so this, this idea of shame and guilt around food, the fuck it diet led me to the health at every size perspective, which is basically that it doesn't matter what your weight is, you can be healthy. Mm -hmm. And this whole idea just kind of blew my mind and it's, it's challenged everything that I've understand about, understood about bodies and how we eat. And so I, even though I'm not suggesting by any means that I am healthy right now, cause I'm not being at home a lot has, has made me more sedentary than, than I'm used to, but I do, I no longer really have a, I'm trying hard to not judge the food I eat. It's just, if I have a craving, I'm going to listen to my body and just eat it. The unfortunate thing is when you first transition into that, you're going to gain weight because your body's like, I need to have all this stuff. And there's a whole science behind, you know, how long it takes and so on. And so, you know, I would say that, it, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I would say that, the, you know, the whole idea of shame and food, uh, uh, shame around food and guilt around food, honestly, that's part of the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing now. The whole idea of, okay, this is long-winded. When I first started reviewing food, it was partially out of a reaction to 
and I love her, but it was partially out of a reaction to W.E. Moranville and her reviews in the Register. Winifred is a wonderful person. She, I've, I've worked with her. I've taken a class from her. And I, I think I really, really like her as a human being. However, she is that, you know, that high-end foodie that doesn't look at everything. And that's her, that's what she was hired for as the Register reviewer back in the day. And that's still what she does. But to me, that only speaks to a certain portion of the population. Mm-hmm. That doesn't speak to everybody, yeah. and I it and and I, and I think it's important to note that you know the Culvers, it you're going to have a different experience even what Culvers you go to. If you go to the Culvers and the new Culvers in Lockheed versus the one on the south side, you're going to have two completely different experiences. <laughs> and excuse me, I think that, and that's what part of the reason why I would review anything because I'm like. That was the food I grew, you know, I, I, that was the food in high school that I started going on my, when I started going out on my own, you know, to get food and not staying with what my parents made me eat. We, I went to fast food. I depended on fast food for a long time and all through college, it's what I depended on. And I'm like, people are eating this, so why not talk about it? I mean, it's not like, it's not like it, it's... I get really frustrated with the, the I, I don't even know if I'm making any coherent thoughts at this point, but <laughs> I just think, I, I think it's important to acknowledge that food is food and that ultimately you're just doing it to survive and that whatever you can get a hold of, that's what you should eat, at least for now, you know, until you, you know, if you, if you can't get the healthy stuff, you're not going to be worrying about that. And so why not talk about that? Why not talk about the, the good stuff among the cheap stuff. You know, I mean, I'm not sure if that makes sense, but you know, I, I, I just, I think that it's worth talking about the difference between the burgers at Culver's versus the burgers at McDonald's, that there's differences. And that's what the majority of people are eating, frankly. Why not talk about that? Mm-hmm. I have no idea if any of that made any sense. No, no, <laughs> no. It's, it's, it's honestly like very similar to like, I mean, when David and I first started talking about this project, I mean, this was, you know, this was not a podcast in its original sort of inception. Like what we were looking at is we were looking at a lot of the food media like locally in the area and just like, yeah, they weren't talking. Like it wasn't so much that they weren't talking about fast food. They weren't talking about like local treasures that like, you know, a lot of what they would deem like ethnic food just doesn't make it into fine dining. It isn't considered fine dining. It doesn't have the price point because – as a culture, we don't value those things or we don't think there's a, a high end to those things, which is like disappointing. And some of that is starting to change. But like there were some legitimately like really good places here in the area that both Dave and I were like, why is no one talking about this? Why is no one uh, why does no one know about this stuff? And why aren't they respecting it or, or you know, in the way that it should be? Because there is a lot mm-hmm. of good food out there. But like. They would just keep covering Chencho every year. And yeah. Chencho, look, I love Chencho, but like maybe maybe write about something else. Or, or, you know, like there's a lot of stuff out there that just does, isn't getting exposure. And it's not fair. And it's like it's a disservice, I think, to the public to like to ignore a lot of these places that are out there. Yeah. Or it'll be like the, you know, you have the list of like the best pork tenderloins or pizza places, but it would never be covered. And then if it was like tacos or Mexican food, it was always like you know, a white owned, I want to say like gentrified, but like a hipster version of a Mexican restaurant. And then like on the bottom of the list mentioned would be like these other ones that are like more yeah. hole in the wall, like small owned. So we're like, how come these places aren't getting the, the features or the respect that they, they all should, should get. But then, you know, you do get the, the language barriers that, that there is, but like no one really like talks about them, like, you know, or visits them or going into the neighborhoods that, that they requires to go to to experience these yeah. restaurants. Sorry, oh. I, I was just I was just looking. I I'm one of those. I'm a sucker for one of those like the best sandwiches uh, in the U.S. <laughs> articles. I will always look mm-hmm. those. And then there was one recently. I think it was from I don't remember what it was from, but I don't know if it's Thrillist or what. But they were talking about the best Chinese in every state. And I always look for Iowa first. And they listed Lee's Barbecue. And I'm like, okay, first of all, half the people in this city don't even know that exists, even though it's been there my entire life. Second of all, I will be honest, I've never been there because like you're talking about, I I was raised to assimilate into white culture. And so if it was, you know, past a certain street or if it was a hole in the wall, it was scary to me and I, I didn't go. And so now I'm like, 
okay, if Lee's Barbecue is getting national attention, I need to go there. You know, and like, is it, I just never really thought that it would be that good. And it just, because of my own stupid, you know, white assimilationist biases. But yeah, it, it, since I started the restaurant database, the number of places that have come up that even I've never heard of or that um, are types of cuisine that I didn't even know we had in Des Moines, I'm like, okay, this is, this is impressive. And why aren't we talking about these things? Exactly what you're saying that, yeah, I love Chantro, but how many times can we talk about Chantro? You know, and why aren't we talking about, you know, even in the realm of Italian, how many, when was the last time you heard about skips on the floor? <laughs> I mean, we passed it last night and I'm like, or the night, yeah, last night. And I'm like, God, is that even still open? Like there was nobody in the parking lot at six o'clock on a Saturday. I'm like, Oh dear Lord, is that still open? You know, I got to research that now. So yeah, I, it is a little frustrating to some of the hole in the walls or some of the ethnic restaurants that are scary or whatever it is or intimidating. I still have those moments of I'm nervous to try it, honestly. But I also recognize that you can only go to those shiny places so many times. Yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about the the Des Moines food database. How did this start? I mean, you started it. I remember seeing this like pop up, and there are some like s- small variations on it that I think that you're responsible for. But what what drove you to to start this Des Moines food database? I've always wanted to create a Des Moines database. <laughs> like always, <laughs> I worked at an ad agency in college, and a friend and I were going to create like a restaurant database book or something and have coupons and we have these grand ideas and it went nowhere and then I moved away and then you know jobs and everything but I've always been really frustrated by the fact that we've never really had a comprehensive you can find everything in this database and it stays up to date and it's a lot of work but it's that's what I wanted to do so I and and granted it's not pretty you know it's just a it's a google spreadsheet what are you gonna do but I wanted to have something divided up by city and, and, and suburb and you know, community. So ideally everything within trying to do about 50 within 50 miles, but it's, you know, that's kind of hard. So I've got aims in there, but you know, I, it's probably not as accurate as some of the other areas, but you know, there's a tab for every area. And I, I wanted to have, when I, when I started it, I, I really actually started it as a way to let people know what was open, what wasn't open during the start of the pandemic. That was the initial plan. But maintaining that, maintaining who was doing curbside versus who was doing takeout versus who was actually open, that became unmanageable. I just did not have the time to do it. So I just went with, okay, these are the places that exist. Here's their contact information. Mm-hmm. Here you go. And then I, I always wanted to have a list of food trucks as well, because food trucks are impossible to find information on sometimes. <laughs> I mean, you just, you just got to hunt them down and be like, okay, who's, mm-hmm. who's, who exists? And so I, I wanted, you know, a food truck tab, and then more recently, there's been an absolute boom in home-based food businesses. And so I've been trying to keep on top of that and let people know what's out there. I mean, it, just in the past month, I think we've had four new charcuterie home-based businesses open. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, being a small business owner, I want these folks to have at least some place where people can go, oh, hey, that exists. I didn't know that exists. And so... Yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of, I've always wanted to do it. That's where it came from. But it's also just a desire for people to be able to go to and find a place where when they say, you know, hey, I want something close to home, but I'm sick of Olive Garden or whatever it is. They can go to a database and say, oh, hey, I've never heard of this. Let's go find out about it. How do you keep it updated? Are you just like Googling and searching every single day, like for hits that come up, going through all the press releases or are people reaching out to you? Are are people like suggesting like, hey, there's this thing, you should put it on the database. How does uh, this work? Yes. <laughs> it's a little bit of, <laughs> okay. it's a little bit of everything. Like last, my husband and I, for entertainment this year, all we do is drive around. So, and I, I know what, you know, being raised here, I know what's where. So mm-hmm. we'll pass a place and I'll be like, I don't remember that. Or that's new or, you know, 
that like just last night i've been when when the pandemic started cheese castle pizza which i've never been there but i've heard about it castle pizza yeah it's on it's on army post it's i have never heard of this but it sounds <laughs> i mean the name alone makes me just like man why have i not been to cheese castle pizza <laughs> well i hate to disappoint you because i think it's closed <laughs> ah. <laughs> um but when the pandemic started i couldn't like i we drove by several times and i called them and i and checked their social media and i could not find out if they were still open well, last night when we were driving around, we were on Army Post and we passed Cheese Castle and there's a new sign that says Wicked Rabbit. And I'm like, okay, what the fuck is that now? So I just wrote it down in my like, Google, <laughs> like I have, I use Google Keep Notes and I just wrote it down in there. And that's basically, you know, the combination of driving around, people telling me about stuff, other people posting about stuff. I can't remember her name now, but there's somebody just posted about a new restaurant this morning. I use... You know, I'll just shuffle through my suggestions on Instagram. I've had a lot of stuff pop up. I just, you know, I try and pick up news wherever I can and just observation mm-hmm. and just to see, you know, what looks new or what's what's changed. And I keep a, a running list. And then once a week, I try and update. And then once a month, I try and go through the whole thing. It takes me about <laughs> four hours. And there's about 1,200 links. And I just check all the links make sure they're still working. And if they're not, then I try and find out if that place closed or, you know, whatever it is. So it's, it is a lot of work to do it for free. <laughs> it's it a little frustrating at times, but it's, it's probably mostly a labor of love to just be, know what's out there and know that hopefully one or two people a week are looking at it going, Oh, Hey, yeah, that's, I forgot about this. I want to go there. So yeah, that's kind of how it started. That's beautiful. I love it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> That's yeah, no, it's, I mean, I, I, it's so strange because you, you sort of assume that like Google has all these things, but they don't really like I've, you know, they, they don't have all this stuff there because not everyone uses as universal as it might seem, not everyone uses those platforms or, or has the time to go and do that because they've got a business to run and other things like that. And there's so many places that get just lost between the cracks that just Mm -hmm. like, they just slip through and it's, and it's great that you have this very sort of like multi-pronged approach at, at trying to collect all the information on these places, especially, you know, let's, let's talk about the home-based businesses. I think David, you've been calling these virtual restaurants based on the eater well, the, I mean, article, right? Yeah. Well, I thought it was eater and I did a little bit more research and it's, you know, it's been called for a while. Same thing as like the ghost kitchens, right? Like it's, right. it's just something that's been around. It's just more prominent now because anyone can, can start them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How was, I mean, have you, do you, well, have you been to any, or sorry, have you gotten food from any of these places? Yeah, I actually, Pybird uh, Pies, mm-hmm. I absolutely adore them. And they're <laughs> they're around the corner from me and they're wonderful. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's little perks. Like one of the, one of the owners walked over a slice of um, apple bourbon pie for free and i'm like i love you so much (laughs) it was so good just ordered and we wanted some pie from them for thanksgiving but they sold out so fast because they've gotten really popular (laughs) so for thanksgiving we ordered a pint of cinnamon ice cream from pints by beth which she doesn't really she does really small batches i think she truly just does it for fun and come to find out she's i found out she's the sister of somebody i went to high school with so I'm like, this Des Moines, forever small town. I've gotten, gosh, I've gotten quite a few different things over the summer. And some not locally, actually. I don't think he actually formally has a kitchen, but there's a place in Chicago named Bike Club Noms. And he sells, he got famous for jerky, but he sells mm-hmm. extracts and all sorts of other stuff and, and kind of befriended him as well. So I'm, you know, I'm opening my mind to that a lot more. I was nervous about home-based stuff for a long time. Got some bagels from Bagel Air. They, Bagel Air started working out of kitchen spaces over in the Drake neighborhood. Mm. But now that kitchen spaces, it has Egg King and Gigi's Chicken and Waffles. And just there's about five or six different places in there. Bagel Air felt a little uncomfortable. So mm-hmm. they're not operating right now out of anywhere, mm-hmm. but they were home base to start. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, 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 my, my dad is very, my mom and my dad are both wary of other people's cooking. I feel like that's a cultural thing. I'm not sure what it is, but, but I, so opening my mind to home based businesses has been difficult, but I honestly feel like there's a lot of good stuff. Cookies by Low got her cinnamon rolls. There's mm. just, there's so many different things that are out there that just people just can't 
you know, they can't afford the rents in places, so why shouldn't you just do it out of your home? Yeah. Yeah, David, where have, where have you been going lately? Honestly, I have not gone anywhere lately. You have not gone anywhere. No, we're trying. We're trying to be more like eating at home and and just you know limiting our our access outside. As far as like also like we're you know eating out is expensive. Like mm-hmm. we we understand that you know people that's people are doing that as as a, a living so that you know it gets pretty pricey. But I just remember like just my mom's like voice in the back. I'm like, there's food at home. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, but that, that's me personally, and like, and I want to experience these. But your experience with with restaurants and COVID, like, do do you do you like do curbside pickup? Do you have you dined in at a restaurant? Like, what's what's your experiences? Like, what's what is the best experience you you had at a like for a curbside pickup? Oh goodness! Well, I have a lot of love for Lucky Lotus mm. and the way they're doing it. They have they've I don't think they've allowed dine in at all during this entire thing and you know their online ordering is really easy i just just a lot of love for the way that they've done it and my husband and i have actually debated who has a better to go game because it matters like your packaging and everything it makes a huge difference oh, yeah. and like like you said there was a place that we got breakfast from that you know again don't want to name because like, i'm not in there's <laughs> If you're, if you're, you know, anti-Black Lives Matter, that's different. I don't have any problem calling you out. But if it's just bad to go packaging, I don't want to hurt you. So I won't name them, but it was terrible. I mean, got a home and it was absolutely terrible. And I'm like, why am I, why am I getting eggs this way? I can make the eggs better like you're talking about. But Big Steer, I was stunned. Their to-go game and they took a long time to get back or opened up to do curbside, but they had to go packages that had separate, separate compartments for the steak and separate compartments for this. And they were sturdy and, you know, and, you know, we live 20 minutes from it and got a home. It was still hot. And it was, it, it, I think it was one of the closest you can get to dining in and experiences from to go that I've, I've had since this thing started. Of course, Unfortunately, Big Steer is closed because they had a fire. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, they, they're closed oh, earlier no. this year and they're not reopening until they said January, which is a damn shame because I honestly think that they have the best steak in town. But also got some food from um, Cozy Cucina, which everybody forgets about. It's <laughs> so sad because it's just a great little place. And it was, I had it on my lap. My husband was driving and I had it on my lap. And it was so hot, I couldn't actually keep it on my lap. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, this is how you do it. And, you know, we got it home and it was still just absolutely excellent. So those are, yeah, Lucky Lotus and Cozy Cucina. My um, beloved Walnut. Walnut is probably my favorite restaurant in town, the Walnut. And they know this. Uh, they know I'm obsessed <laughs> with them. But, um, I actually, I think because they were a food truck before this, they were the spot before this. Right. They they do pretty good to go, and have gotten there, gone there a lot. But I, they started allowing dine in, and it's a while back, and it's made me made me pretty uncomfortable. I think, I think one of the last places we ate in was Krause Cafe in Indianola, and I've been in to pick up stuff for carryout, but we do our best, especially now with numbers what they are, to just do curbside pickup or delivery we just got fongs last friday for date night which it was good but they had some issues with timing i want to dig into just just in case anyone is listening and like doesn't necessarily understand all the arguments around you know why dine in makes people uncomfortable both from like a personal standpoint and then also like some of the externalities that come out of that so like Take us through your reasoning why. Just talking to a couple of different people about how they're how they're weathering this. A couple of different restaurant owners and business owners, and you know they, I you know I won't disclose anybody, but one was like, I really wish the government would do something and shut things down because that flies better with my landlord than I just can't pay rent. And that, that gave me a whole nother perspective of, oh God, I didn't even think about it that way. And I don't know. I, I'm in kind of a, I'm not, I don't want to say I'm anti-capitalist, but I certainly have some very negative opinions about capitalism right now. <laughs> but I, I, I think that that's, it's, it's, we're living in a society right now that unfortunately puts money above all things. And I would just love to see us shut down everything 
for a month, come what may, just to see the numbers go down, you know, because even if let's say these restaurants continue to stay open and we, we don't um, shut down anything. Okay. So those businesses might survive, but what are you doing to the other systems in our society like healthcare? I mean, that's getting taxed and in a horrible way that we now we're seeing staffing shortages. So just because you're surviving financially doesn't mean that somebody else isn't suffering. You know, mm-hmm. so it, it's a give and take. And I, I don't think that our current approach of leaving it up to personal responsibility, as Kim likes to say, I don't think that that's I don't think that's working at all. Yeah, that that map of Iowa is a condemnation. It, it is it is a it is a letter grade of how responsible, how individually and personally responsible we are right now. And it's, but I think, I think the answer is it has to do with fatigue. I think it's with fatigue, you know, people, I don't want to put like people being irresponsible, but it's like people are fatigued, right? Like, so I don't know. It's, it's something that, that I understand, but I don't know. I just don't know how the government can do in the situation, like I try to look at what what plan and how. Like I, I also think like some landlords have done the right thing and either waiving or reducing the lease cost because they understand like, hey, if you can pay me lower, it's it's better them understanding that and be like than not having a renter at all, right? Like, what are they going to do? It's like, oh, they, they can't pay you. Then if you close it, if this goes on till next year, who's going to take the risk of opening a business? and paying those those fees mm-hmm. so i think it does have to do with greed like i do think like making money is for everyone but some people is just the greed and the lack of here actually the lack of empathy that's what i want to yeah. highlight the lack of empathy a lot of people have had yeah i think the the i in the last one of the last classes i taught one of the last english classes i taught i made empathy the theme of the entire class and I've learned quickly that you teaching empathy is apparently impossible. I really struggled with that, but the environment that we were in that the lack of empathy was already culturally there. It's always been there anyway, but it just seems worse. And then you add the pandemic on top of it. And it's just, it's a, it's a recipe for exactly where we are. And I have hope that maybe things are going to change, you know, but who knows, but I, yeah, it's, it is, it is a question of, what are you willing to sacrifice and how much are you willing to sacrifice? And and if you bring it back to food, like for instance, I, I'm very fortunate. I live 0.2 miles from my parents, but I still have not physically been in my, my, the household I grew up in. I've, I've been, you know, maybe 10 feet from my dad and I've stayed very far away from my mother because she is prime candidate for the worst of it. So, you know, I, it's very painful for me because I, I have not been able to hug my parents. I've not been able to sit down and just chat with them. I talk to my dad on the phone probably every other day, but we're a close knit family. And one of the things that we used to do was about once a month, we go over for food, you know, and we just haven't been able to do that, especially because my sister's and their kids all work pretty much in the grocery industry. So they're constantly exposed. So yeah, we can't as families get together. And so my parents took the lead in saying, we're not getting together for Thanksgiving and Christmas. We're mm-hmm. just not going to. And <laughs> this is kind of a ridiculous thing, but a few years ago, my mom makes breakfast every Christmas morning. And it's the same thing, you know, scrambled eggs, hash browns, pancakes, all that stuff. A couple of years ago, she didn't do it. And we lost our minds. Mom, how can you not make breakfast on Christmas morning? And we gave her so much shit all day long. She's like, well, apparently I will never be skipping making breakfast again. So this is, and it might seem silly and minor, but this will be the second year of my life that we haven't had Christmas breakfast. And I'm like, so sad about it. And I'm like, I just, this is the silliest thing ever. But I'm like, this is a tradition for us. You know, we were going to have to forego this and I did not see that coming. When all of this started, I did not think that we would still be in this position come Christmas. You know, I my birthday and my husband's birthday and our anniversary are all in August. And I did not think that we would not be able to travel for any of that because we're used to traveling. We're very privileged in that sense. We get to travel, you know, not far, but, you know, we get to go to Chicago or Omaha or Kansas City. And I haven't been out of the state since September of last year. I mean, 
when we talk about sacrifice, I'm fortunate in that the stuff that I'm is, sacrificing is probably luxurious to a lot of other people. But, you know, I'm also sacrificed, like you talked about, Dave, about not eating out. <laughs> this is probably not a smart thing, but I don't have health insurance because I would rather be able to dine out. You know, and when I mean dine out, I mean carry out. You know, I, I otherwise I have nothing. Like I don't shop. I don't, I am not a material objects person. The only thing that I really do for fun is to travel and to dine out. And since I can't travel, I have one thing, you know, that other than reading books that I do for fun. I want to go back to you mentioning, you know, Black Lives Matter and, you know, calling out restaurants. Has that affected like the support you, you how you choose restaurants? Like, I know you have like a database for that. And also like you also have a database for black owned restaurants. Like, can you tell me like the process of that? Because I, I know when, you know, when the protests first began, it was George Floyd. I want to say the unfortunate part and fortunate, like a lot more people wanted to support black owned businesses, which they should have done, you know, from from very long time. But unfortunately, a black man had to die for people to be aware of, like, you don't know, support black owned businesses. And then you create like a database. And then you also went kind of beyond that in creating a database or calling out restaurants who do or do not support you know, BLM. Can you, can you talk about your process on that? And, and uh, kind of like a follow-up question is like, when you do dine out and you experience that, do you support, like, do you look into the, the companies that the restaurants that do support it or do you just, how does that go for your decision-making? Well, the process of creating the black owned business list is actually, I'm, it's one step of many because I do hope to eventually have a list of Latinx owned and LGBTQ plus owned. You know, I, I want to go across the board because I think that's important. I, the process of that wasn't always the easiest thing because you can't make assumptions, you know? And so there was, it was just flat out asking people, you know, for instance, Lola's in Ankeny, I'd heard several times that they were black owned and I'm like, all right. So I had to ask, but I didn't realize that the husband of the owner is black and so they consider themselves a, at least, a, you know, and he's like part ownership. So they consider themselves a black owned business. So I'm like, okay, you're in, that's fine with me. So sometimes it was just asking questions. Sometimes it was researching. Sometimes, I mean, there were actually some existing documents that are a little outdated that listed some black owned businesses. So actually that information was already out there. It just isn't a hard place to find. So that for my, in terms of the process, it was, you know, just same old good old research, just asking questions and talking to people. And it's, it's ongoing because, you know, some new places have opened Rico's and Drake opened that's black owned. Some places have closed, some places are hard to get hold of. So, you know, that's in terms of how I created it. That's how that started. And I, and I, I agree with you. We should have been doing that a long time ago. I, I saw something about, especially in June and July, how everybody was frequenting black owned businesses to the point where they were falling behind, like they couldn't keep up with demand. Mm -hmm. And then people were going, oh, see, this is why I don't frequent black owned businesses because they're not very good. Mm -hmm. And so then that in turn, that, you know, caused problems where people started having negative opinions about black owned businesses again. So to me, it's important to maintain and, and keep updated and keep reminding people that it's out there, especially in, in Des Moines, because there's a small number in terms of brick and mortar, black owned businesses is a handful mm -hmm. and it's a very small number. As for what I do, the I don't actually list in the database who does not support Black Lives Matter. What I do, I want to be fair. And so everybody gets to be in the database. Everybody gets to be in there no matter what. If I do not frequent, if I don't patronize the business, I remove the link to their business and where the, the phone number is. I simply say, I do not patronize this establishment. I don't say why. I just say, I don't, but they get to be in the database. So people can know that they exist. If, if, mm -hmm. if people are going there for, you know, just to know who exists. So I don't actually say flat out on the database itself, why these places, you know, why I don't support them. I, the actual conversation about who does and does not support BLM goes on for me mostly on Instagram. I'm trying to kind of expand that and get it more into my blog or my website. But no, I have stopped going to a good number of places. My my list of restaurants has dwindled drastically. I'm still, because there are so many places, I'm still in the process of trying to ask 
who supports and who doesn't. There are places that I've frequented all summer that I've never heard from, and there it's going to require me to call, and I hate calling people, but I'm, I'm going to have to call and, and ask, just let out ask. So, yeah, I I personally, it, it's a combination of things. If, you, if, if there are a large number of sexual harassment comments, if there's a blatant lack of support for BLM, or if they say that they don't support BLM, or if they just don't even, if the, you know, if the silence is violence, if they just don't even reply, yeah, I, I just choose not to go there. And unfortunately, yeah, some of my favorite places have, have gone by the wayside. So that's the part that frustrates me the most, I think. I, I have to say, like, I, I feel like the, the approach that you've taken on Instagram for, I mean, in, in in reaching out to businesses, like, requires an incredible amount of, of courage and I feel like emotional fortitude as well. Like, that's, that's not an easy thing to ask someone directly. I feel like that's something that a lot of people shy away from and, and won't do. In fact, I think recently you you challenged many of your followers to, like, hey, pick three businesses, three pick three restaurants that you like and go out. And, and ask them if they support Black Lives Matter. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. And and I, th- I think as you discovered, a lot of people weren't willing to do that. And so like, there's this barrier and I, I, I wanna dig into that a little bit, but like, what was that experience like? like what was that experience like even getting to that point where you were like, you know what, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna ask. And what have, what have those responses been? I mean, you, you talked about, you know, sometimes it's silent, but like, you know, I'm sure people have responded and what I'm curious about some of the responses or some of the defensive, you know, tactics that that some restaurants have taken and being like, well, you know, I don't have to or, or anything like that. What have you heard? Because we have the oh so pleasant Iowa nice approach. Most people are just silent. Most people just simply uh-huh. absolutely do not say anything. I, I don't think I've ever gotten anybody just flat out say, no, we don't support it, which I was, I'm kind of waiting for that moment. <laughs> you know, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just waiting for somebody to just flat out be like, no, we don't support them. And I'm like, okay, cool. Thanks. I would rather know. I would rather just somebody flat out say, no, we don't. Cause then I know the, the silence is, it, it leaves, it leaves them open to be able to say, oh, and we just didn't see those messages, which is when I when I talk about places publicly, I make a point to screenshot those conversations. And then that little DM that says seen, you know, I screenshot that to prove you, <laughs> somebody in your business saw that. So I, it's mm-hmm. about, you know, people are probably like, that's petty. But I'm like, that's what accountability is as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. I think that most of the defensive responses, I had one in particular, that I think has tried every defensive response under the sun, which is basically, oh no, we donate. And oh no, that's not what we're doing. And oh, but this, no, but that. And even going so far as to send somebody else who was supposedly a customer to to talk to me about it. And that I'd saying that I was being unfair and that I should stop talking about it. And some fun <laughs> stuff. And I had a conversation with that person and it was kind of funny because then she was like, oh, you're such a fair person. I think we should go out to lunch and we should double date with our husbands. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> just called. You just basically, you know, said all these horrible things. And now, now you're like, let's go out to lunch. So I blocked her. I'm like, I don't have time for that. But it's been, it's mostly not a lot of defensive reactions. As some people asking, you know, Oh yeah, sure. We support, but what do you recommend um, we do, or what, re- what resources do you recommend? And that gets really frustrating because I'm like, maybe it's my exposure to what's out there, but that's all we've been talking about all summer. If you can't, mm-hmm. if you can't Google it, I can't help you. You know. And so the emotional labor does get very tiring, and that is why I did the challenge, frankly, because I'm like, I've, and it's going to sound super egotistical, but I'm like, okay, I created the database. I'm doing all this work. I'm not really truly getting paid for it in terms of, you know, nobody's paying me to do this. I'm asking people for support through Venmo and PayPal and, and Patreon, but I've made probably less than $2,000 this year. And so, it, you know, I'm mostly doing it for free. And I'm like, if you, you, you all are very appreciative with words, but my, my words don't pay my rent or my, my mortgage, you know? And so I'm very fortunate that my husband has a job that takes care of us mostly, but he could be laid off at any second. And that has actually happened to us a couple of times this this year that he's been laid off in the last two years. So, you know, I, I, we certainly have chosen our own circumstances, but I, I do wish that people cared a little bit more. And like you said, the, the number of people who have been willing to take on the challenge, I, I do have about, I think, 15 people who are, who are actively messaging me um, and saying stuff. I haven't mentioned much on Instagram since because I kind of sitting back and seeing what's going to happen. 
but I'm going to be wrapping it up because I think that it's, frankly, it shouldn't, black folk did not create white supremacy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's not our responsibility to end it as far as I'm concerned. This should be the work of white folk. So I, I feel like I'm saying this is the way to do it. I know it's not easy to do. It's scary. It's intimidating. It's, it, it's, if frankly, for lack of a better phrase, it feels icky, but it's necessary. And if folks are going to say that they're going to do the work, then this is the work that needs to be done. Well, there's that, that restaurant in Marshalltown, right? That like Mexican restaurant who put up a sign and got a bunch of backlash and then they put a bigger sign that says, you know, <laughs> no love, no tacos. Yeah. La Coretta. Love yeah. that. My, yeah. my husband's from Marshalltown. So we kind of kept an eye on that. And, I, and and that was a bold move for Marshalltown. Like, bold. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I was like, wow, okay. Because they're actually around the corner from a place that has a sign in the window that basically is like we're pro gun and pretty much everybody in here probably has a gun so you know be aware of that when you come in and i'm like oh okay this is this is this is marshall town good to know so yeah it was a big move but you know in Des Moines, i think it's a little different i mean I, you can't it, we have a much larger I think BIPOC population, then people are really willing to, to acknowledge. Oh yeah. I think also and, like we treat those communities not, not in the brightest light. Yeah. yeah. And so if like, do you really want to alienate that portion of the population? I mean, come on, think about maybe you're going to lose a couple bucks, but you might gain a couple because people respect you more, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. The, I, my desire is not to see people um, lose their livelihood, but I, I would rather, frankly, I would rather see a place closed because they um, make no stance at all than lose money because of COVID. You know, I would, I would rather them face the consequences of their decisions than just be a victim of a pandemic. That might be harsh, but yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and there are some businesses that have taken very clear stances and you know they've (laughs) one urban farm somebody commented in her comments oh i didn't know you were a commie (laughs) we all got a good laugh on that one (laughs) she was just like okay bye you know it wasn't it wasn't a loss to her because she's like i know what doing is right you know and Mm. so she's going to be fine. Her business is going to be just fine. And people are very enthusiastic about her. So it sounds kind of cliche, but you know, good's going to triumph ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is. It is heartening to, to hear you say those words, to hear some optimism Mm -hmm. from you in this darkest of times. You caught me on a good morning. apparently. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, no, I mean that, that really is encouraging because I, I I feel like, you know, we've been, it has been a very rough year. It has been a, a technically a, a rough four years for many reasons. And, you know, to hear some optimism, I think is always just like, a drop of water in a dry, 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 dry desert. And so, you know, I, that, that means a lot personally to hear that. I'm glad I, I, I can't say I'm always, I'm always there, but you know, like I said, I'm feeling it this morning. So <laughs> if, if I can, you know, encourage anybody else to go great, but you know, it's, it's not, you're right. It's not easy to have any optimisms whatsoever. If you'd asked me this, before the election oh god that probably would have had a different reaction entirely so yeah i mean it's still be a crazy crazy what 60 days before we wrap things up of course i i want all the listeners to know where they can follow you and how they can support you best okay my well my website is wholedamnwoman.com it is in a transition period there's a lot of there's a lot of transitioning going on with the with content so it doesn't look pretty right now but that's ultimately going to be my main home but in the meantime on instagram i'm just whole damn woman those are the main avenues however i do post some content on patreon so patreon.com slash whole damn woman i you know there's a couple different levels but there's some unique content there and then you know financial support always helpful so paypal 
dot me slash whole damn woman and i do tell people because i learned recently that venmo does not allow for if you don't have a business account on venmo you can't use it for business i did not know this and apparently they will yoink your money from you if you do so i was like okay oh yeah jeez. you learn that so i tell people that my venmo is my chai fund because i'm a big fan of chai and <laughs> my venmo is at cita lee s-e-e-t-a-l-e-e -E -E. so you know but most of the content right now is on instagram i technically have other platforms but i don't use them so there's no TikTok for me. But, you know, I, I try and get something up unique every day. Uh, or, um, six days out of the week on Instagram. Today's my normal day off. So, but I will probably be there anyway. And, you know, I'm trying to kind of attack a variety of things right now. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. It's so fun. Yeah, this is... <laughs> No, no, thanks. And, and and we want to have you back. There's obviously still so much we have to talk yes. about. Yes. <laughs> and this is just scratch the surface. But yeah, thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you so much for for educating us. Both Dave and I have been following you for a while now, and we've learned so much. And and, and it's so important, the, the mission that you're carrying out in terms of trying to help people see what's going on and to educate them about a lot of topics that they may not otherwise be confronted with. And we very much appreciate what you've been doing and the courage that you put out there. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. It's been fun. I like talking to you guys. We should so totally need to do this more. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and someday we can do it in person. <laughs> yes. <laughs> with food. <laughs> Once again, we urge you to check out everything Whole Damn Woman has to offer. You can go to her site at www.wholedamnwoman.com, where you'll find courses on race, privilege, self-compassion, and dismantling the patriarchy. And again, please reach out and let us know what you've liked, what you haven't, and what you would like for us to talk about. You can find us and DM us questions and comments at We Are Beyond Hungry on Instagram and Facebook. You can also reach us at we are beyond hungry at gmail.com. Thank you again to Bo Brenton for our music. You can find him on social at B E A U B R E N T O N. And please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or however you rate podcasts. And if you're feeling generous, write a sentence or two to help us out. As always, thanks for listening. Thank you.